Imagine two scenarios. Scenario one, we're on a ship, it springs a leak and starts to sink. While we're fleeing to the life rafts, you manage to grab a bag. Unbeknownst to the rest of us, you have a bag that's full of, I don't know, bottled water and some canned meats, tuna, spam, that kind of thing. We all get onto the life raft, we huddle together, and while the boat sinks, there we are bobbing up and down in the open sea, a night and a day. Eventually, we spot an island in the distance, and we start paddling towards it, and as we get closer, we see that the, li the island is just incredibly bare. It's, the, you know, there's, there's not a strict stick of shrubbery, there's no sign of fresh water, it's basically a big rock in the middle of the ocean. But it's our only hope, so we row towards the island, and as we get closer, your brother turns to you and says, Boy, I'm thirsty. What do you do? That's scenario one. Scenario two, we're on a ship. Our ship sinks. We flee to the life rafts. Unbeknownst to everyone else, you've got a bag containing bottled water and canned meat. You know, tuna, spam, that kind of thing. And as the ship sinks and we're there in the life raft bobbing up and down in the open sea, we spot an island in the distance. And as we paddle towards the island, we see that it's luscious, luxurious, it's full of life. You can see the trees hanging heavy with choice fruits. There's a gushing waterfall in the distance. It is a tropical paradise. As we row towards shore, your brother turns to you and says, Boy, I'm thirsty. What do you do now? Do you give your brother a drink of water? Surely you are more likely to share the wealth in scenario two. But why? Are you a much nicer person in scenario two? Are you suddenly more moral? What has changed between scenario one and scenario two? Surely it's this, your vision has changed. You've seen an abundance of life and it's liberated you to be generous. You're still the same bundle of sins and selfishness, but now you've seen something captivating. Now you are celebrating. Now you're assured that things are gonna be okay. And so you open up your resources and you share the wealth. In his first letter, the Apostle John makes precisely this argument. He says, Christians are those who have seen the abundance of grace and love flowing from the Father through the Son. We have seen Jesus and we've said, that's the life. Christ has invited us into the fellowship that he shares with his Father and now we share the wealth with others. The whole letter is summed up in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 7. Dearly beloved, let us love. That's a more older translation. Dearly beloved, let us love. In Greek, it's only two words. Beloved, love. We who are dearly beloved, may we go and love others. That's really an encapsulation of the entirety of the Christian life. Beloved and loving. Because we are not just those who are heading towards a tropical island. We are residents of a kingdom of overflowing life, recipients of a torrent of unending blessing. We are children adopted into the ultimate royal family. Therefore, we can afford to crack open our little stashes and say, hey, spam for everybody. We can be generous with what we have, can't we? John would say to us, look, if you're not loving... Have you really received the love of God? If you're not overflowing to your brothers and sisters, has God's love really been poured out to you? From the fountainhead of the belovedness that we have in Jesus will flow a life of love. Thus John would have us meditate on the word beloved. The Greek word agapetoi 
is most often translated as dearly beloved in the King James Bible. And that phrase is probably best known to us culturally as the opening words of the marriage service. You say, dearly beloved. It's interesting to note that dearly beloved occurs seven times in the Book of Common Prayer. On three occasions, it it refers to the congregation as those who are dearly beloved. But on four occasions, it refers to Christ. He is the dearly beloved Son of the Father. That's highly significant. The theology of Thomas Cranmer, who wrote the prayer book, is very biblical here. What the Son is singularly, dearly beloved, the church is corporately, dearly beloved. How the Father feels about His Son is how He now feels about us clothed in His Son. As Jesus Himself says in John 16 verse 27, The Father Himself loves you because you've loved me and have believed that I came from God. We are dearly beloved. Loved with the very love that predated and produced the universe. Therefore, John continues, Beloved, 1 John 4 verse 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Isn't that the understatement of the, of, of the year? Since we've been so loved, we ought to love other people, oughtn't we? There is abundant life overflowing for us. So should we not overflow to others? You know, ultimate reality is not like that barren rock in the ocean. Do you ever feel like life is like that? Life is just this barren rock. There's no life. We think of reality as a forbidding place, as sparse, as barren. But ultimate reality is not like that. Not in Jesus, it's not. In Jesus, we have the tropical island paradise. In Jesus, we have a God who is love and who pours that love into our hearts by His Holy Spirit. If we've seen anything of His love, won't we reach into our supplies and share the wealth? Won't we reach into our bags that are not full of spam, probably, but our our resources? Won't we look to our resources, our time, our money, our goods, our emotional energy, and won't we share what we've got? Of course we will if we know the love that we've already got. So dearly beloved, let us love.